You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Hello and welcome back to The Labours of Hercule. I'm Adam. I'm Frankie. And this week... We are in the muse for a murder. It's amusing. E. Straight in there. <laughs> to set the tone for terrible jokes from the beginning. Episode two of season one is Murder in the Muse, based on a short story and set in Bardsley Garden Muse. I did some research on this. Did you? Do you know that no one knows where that is? Really? People have gone to try and find all the locations of the Poirot shoots and people don't know where Bardsley Garden Muse is or can't nail it down to a specific location. Oh, this is where we need Suchet to step in <laughs> and confirm <laughs> and take us there. What a, what, a, what a weird secret to keep. I know. Maybe they tore it down because they're like, it served its purpose, it was perfect, yeah. can't have anything ruined this. Like what if something terrible happened there afterwards? Perhaps they've like set it in glass because here walked Suchet. We should do that with Suchet as well keep him in Set glass, him in glass. <laughs> yeah ideally in my house <laughs> yeah well we could DHL him to each other every other week oh or that'd something. be nice <laughs> oh yeah we can have a schedule that'd be perfect <laughs> shall we put him in there with clothes or without clothes depending on the day <laughs> well, depending on the mood depending on the temperature before we get on to the episode itself um probably do some housekeeping my goodness me First of all, thanks to everyone who's subscribed because um, we shot straight up the iTunes chart. We were close to the top of the charts in TV reviews and we were top 10 TV and film. That's crazy. I think, you know, we've gradually slipped down because this episode has taken so long to record and, and uh, get out there again. Only because we've had so much going on in the past couple of weeks. I had to finish up some other commitments that I was I was working on. And you've been going to weddings and touring the country. One wedding. And Gloucester. <laughs> Quite the extensive tour that I went on. <laughs> Basking in your newfound fame. That's, yeah, that's it. I walked into the wedding doing the Queen's Wave to all of, all of our many fans, of course. Um, no, it's so exciting. You're used to this kind of podcast success. Because you do such you do such great things already, and you've really been so successful. Whereas no one listens to my podcast <laughs> normally. Yes, they do. Well, we have we have a small but loyal following, which I'm very grateful for. Don't get me wrong. But yeah, when you were you were messaging me after you put it live, being like, "We're in the charts," and it was just very exciting. <laughs> so yeah, thank you everyone. And everyone's been so nice on Twitter, which is a rare sentence that you don't get to say very often. I know we've had people from all over the world saying, "Oh." love what you guys are and thank you very much we we have got slight change coming to the format of the episode mm. but we'll talk about that in a bit but yeah thanks once again it's so nice of you to to subscribe and listen and to be so generous with your comments and, yeah, amazing i like to think it's because we're so good but i do mainly think it's because poirot is so beloved yes and that show in particular just captures hearts and minds 
internationally so we can't take all the credit we take most of the credit but because <laughs> we're, we're doing it so then we have to but yeah it's just any excuse to talk about and listen to Poirot I think people take it yeah we had some um, nice emails as well this is incredible you know you don't start getting emails usually until like episode 10 I'm, I've, yeah. I've worked on podcasts where they still haven't had emails after, <laughs> after months and months and months but yeah yeah we had two which was really lovely one actually from an old familiar friend not old she's very young I didn't mean to say she's old <laughs> Um, but a, a good friend of yours in particular from your um, Attaboy Clarence, your movie club that you do every Sunday. That's a little plug there. <laughs> Thank you very much. Adam's Patreon, <laughs> which is lots of fun. I'm also a member. It's really great. Everyone should join. Um, so this is from the lovely Shannon. Oh, I love Shannon. Shannon's the best and she really came through when we, last week we were speculating as to why the series starts with uh, the short stories. Shannon's got an answer to the question for us so we need to speculate no further and I'm going to do my best to read this without messing it up. So here we go. Uh, it says, long time listener, first time caller. Very good. Uh, so excited. <laughs> Strong start, Shannon. Uh, so excited for this pod. This is truly one of my comfort shows and there can never be enough adulation upon David, Mr. Suchet's sweet pot head which is very true and i think as, as i said one of the reasons why people have been so nice and listening in anyway <laughs> be shannon now in regards to your musings on what prompted the choice of stories for the show's early episodes according to mark aldridge in his book agatha christie's poirot the greatest detective in the world some of it appears to be financial from her earlier stories that were published either in serial form or exclusively for the U.S. market had been collected in Poirot's early cases in the 70s and, along with the short story collection from 1937, Murder and the Muse, how apt, were ripe for re-release to coincide with the new show, though not all of Poirot's early cases made it into season one. Part of it was also Brian Eastman's desire to have a mix of cases, not all murder all the time, hence the possible suicide, the kidnapping and the international important paper intrigue. There were also reasons involving the inclusion of the side characters but those seem to have mattered less as development went on. Eastman pushed to include Hastings, Miss Lemon and Jap more than the stories called for, his instinct being that while not faithful to the initial writing, having a tidy warm ensemble would appeal to the audience. I agree. Give me Hastings and that hangdog face as Poirot chastises him or give me death. <laughs> so true Shannon. So true. And she says, I hope that was uh, helpful and interesting and not boring and repetitive. Not at all, Shannon. It was really, really, really interesting. Oh uh, I highly recommend the book. It has, yeah, I have, it has loads of information and fun tidbits on all things Poirot. Looking forward to many more things to come. Shannon's the best. She comes to film Shannon is the best. Sundays and she's always very, very supportive and lovely. We had another really lovely email from Laurie. And Laurie, I tried to reply to your email, but it kept bouncing back. So I'm really sorry. I wasn't ignoring it. I promise you I did try. So you may want to check your email out. But anyway, uh, Laurie says, What a lovely discovery. Loved your first podcast. I just finished watching the entire Poirot series for the third time. That is an excellent way to spend your time. <laughs> I'm sure that fans of the show have favourite lines that they've incorporated into their personal lives, right? 100%. My partner and I often f um, find that we often say, instead of it's okay, it's all all right, it's all all right. And that one's making me tear up a bit because it's from Five Little Pigs, which is a very emotional <laughs> one for me. Uh, looking forward to more of your charming podcast episodes. Best wishes, Laurie from Texas. Well, yeehaw. That's all I can say. <laughs> and actually, that line, it's all all right, it's in the show, it's all all right, my darling, it's all all right. I'm trying not to cry as I say it because it's so beautiful. Um, I'm actually thinking that's going to be my next tattoo. <laughs> 
Wow. Yeah, across my forehead, I'm thinking. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> is it all right? <laughs> Question mark at the end. <laughs> um, my friend Edith and I, we always say that line to each other. We're thinking of getting matching tattoos because we're very cool and mm. young <laughs> and trendy. And you like to go to see films together. We do. With yes. snacks. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that, yeah, it's so nice to get emails. So thank you so much for everyone that's emailed. If you want to join Laurie and Shannon in the fun email party and have your email read out on this very <laughs> podcast, imagine you can email us at bonjour at thelaboursofhercule.com. Well, <laughs> I can go one better than that because How? not only did I get. Uh, communication this week. It was snail mail. It's real mail. I had real mail from someone. This concerns me slightly. Did they have you? Is it someone you know? I hope it's someone you know. It, it's yes. It's someone I know. <laughs> okay, good. It's like um, some fan has found your house. <laughs> it's someone I know that's been a long time listener. Actually, we've become very good friends, and she's been to my house for dinner with her husband. And she's an artist. Her name's Nick. Vickery Brown. Oh, I know Nick. Yeah, you know Nick. Film club um, Nick. Well, yes. Um, Nick's best friend is Tree. Yes. Uh, and she's also a paramedic. And she's also on, yeah. Um, and they sent a package to me. And it says, to Adam, some important information for you. It is Talk Like Poirot Day on the 20th of September, <gasps> which even has its own official Twitter account which is at Poirot Day. Right. Everyone so we need follow, to follow that, that. 100%. And here is a quote for you, my friend. Okay. It is an art, the growing of the moustache. I have sympathy for all who attempt it. <laughs> your most ardent fans, Nick and Tree. Thank you for that. But wait till you see what they've sent. Now, we talked, <laughs> talked last week about how David Suchet perfected his walk. Yes, the, the infamous coin. Oh, it's a coin. <laughs> They've sent me a pound coin, not just that. Oh, wow. <laughs> so you're going to wear those now? Yeah. Outside so for of those of you who can't see, I now have a moustache. Yep, I'm, I'm now Nick watching him prepare the coin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so, great. Yeah, so I'm going to wear this for approximately three or four minutes. Till it falls off. Stuck to my lip. Yeah. It looks but fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> and and so then I have, the coin. Yes, I'm gonna hang on. Let me do that. Even though I'm sat down. <laughs> it will stay in easier. In com- comedy whistle sound. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it keeps falling out. Um, hang on, let me take all these tenors out first. <laughs> Big night at the club. <laughs> like a fruit machine. <laughs> Um, yeah, but yeah, so, That's so cool. it, you know, after one week, we have two emails, a fake moustache, a pound coin, and um, a new account to follow at Poirot Day. Wow, what a lovely community you've built around you of such lovely people. We've built. <laughs> I did nothing. I've just literally shown up and taken all of your friends. <laughs> oh, talking of which, I appeared on your latest episode. You did. Red last you week as well. did. How, how do you feel um, after that? Still traumatised? Are you okay? Only by myself. I'm, I'm always horrified by how awkward I am. You were an absolute <laughs> delight as always. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. And you and Sarah are a very cool team. And um, yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, she's a very supportive friend and she's definitely not listening to this episode right now. So thank you for not listening, definitely Sarah. Not. She's probably watching Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. You which, know her so yeah. well. You have her essence. You met her once and you, you fully have her character now. <laughs> so... <laughs> 
Well, should we uh, go to the muse to see what's happening there? Yes, please. And will you explain the exciting new format we're going to be trying out? Well, most of the correspondence we had over social media Mm. or comments we had about the episode were either people saying, I haven't seen the series for ages, Mm. must catch up with it. Or people saying, I haven't seen it at all, and you'd maybe want to go and watch it. So what we thought we'd do, we didn't want to ruin the episodes for everyone, and we thought it might be fun if people kind of played along as they listened. So instead of rushing off and binging all the episodes, it might be best if you take them one at a time with us. Because um, if you haven't seen them, or even if you have seen them ages ago and just can't remember the solutions like me, it's always quite fun to work out what's going on with the mystery. So we thought what we'd do is we'd send to things more around the mystery now from now on we're going to point out the most important clues that you should be watching out for and we're also going to tell you at what point in the episode you need to pause it if you want to work out what's happening we'll do a rundown of the clues again do you have time codes because i don't you're so yeah, good I do. thank you <laughs> um yeah and also i think because if you're listening to this podcast you're clearly very intelligent because mm. that's why you're here right so obviously you have your little gray cells <laughs> rearing you to bought go. a phone and everything yeah. yeah, very smart moves all around. Um, but you obviously have very good taste and you're very intelligent and you're very attractive people. Uh, so naturally, <laughs> your little grey cells are raring to go and you're very capable of solving the mystery alongside Poirot. So fun. Exactly. See if you can be cleverer than Poirot. No one's cleverer than Poirot. No, no one's sexier than Poirot. No one's sexier than Poirot. <laughs> How's the coin feeling, all right? <laughs> Comfortable? It's, it's very warm right now. <laughs> so shall we dive in yeah. to this week's mystery? First of all, let's see what's happening at Whitehaven Mansions in this episode, because there's always a little through story with the background characters, the main four. In this episode, Poirot's complaining about starchy collars. I love his line, that laundry is in the pay of my enemies. (laughs) (laughs) Why do we not do something constructive about my collars, Miss Lemon? That laundry is in the pay of my enemies. Miss Lemon's trying to get him to go to see a dentist, and he keeps finding creative ways to avoid his appointment. You won't forget your dental appointment at 11, will you, Mr Poirot? Hercule Poirot does not need to go to the dentist, Miss Lemon. You've put it off once already. Uh, Hastings is just working on his car. Lad. And, uh, and... Jap is just totally focused on the mystery. He makes a few comments about his wife as well. Yes. You hear a bit mm. about her over the course of the show. Where's Mrs. Jap tonight, then? She can't abide fireworks. Ah, the noise disturbs the delicate sensibilities of many ladies. Maybe, maybe. I think it's more that she doesn't like to see people enjoying themselves. Mm. You never see her. <laughs> or do you? It's never identified if it's her. Because oh, Anyway, in the Christmas episode when they're all playing the piano mm. and singing. Do you remember that one? I do remember the episode. I can't remember that, that moment. It's, oh, it's, I mean, we're jumping way ahead, but they're, they're singing like ding dong merrily on high. <laughs> He's just sat there. <laughs> absolutely miserable. I've never felt Love a Christmas sing song. Jap does not love a Christmas <laughs> sing song. He's utterly miserable. <laughs> but yeah, all the gangs there yeah. doing their thing. That's the continuity of the the main four characters, anyway. From episode to episode, we'll just quickly catch up with them and tell you what they're up to. It's it's just nice to to sort of see what the fam are doing. Yeah, Hastings being a lad, working Mm. on his car. (laughs) We open on a music night. Picture the scene. (laughs) Close your eyes. Um, (laughs) And it's, yeah, a muse in London, and it's bonfire night. Woo! Mm. That's firework noises. <laughs> maybe we Was can. It? Mm, we could add some in, maybe. <laughs> pew, pew. Um, not very good fireworks. A bit rubbish. Um, and Hastings and Jap and Poirot are walking through the muse at night, and there are kids 
playing with firecrackers and it's all very exciting and there's a lot of energy in the air and they're just chatting, passing the time. And I think it's Hastings that says, oh, this would be a great night to commit a murder. Not in those words, exactly. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know what? It would be really great to, to commit a murder tonight. Um, because he, his point is that if a gunshot were to go off, it would be covered up by the fireworks. Tell you what, though, what a good night for a murder, eh? I mean, if somebody wanted to kill anybody, nobody would know if it was a gunshot or a firework. Hmm. But not so good, my friend, if your chosen method is strangulation. No, that's true. No. Or poisoning, come to that. Yes. <laughs> You're pulling my leg. Yes, Hastings, we pull ever so gently the leg. Well, I still think it's a jolly good night for a murder. <laughs> and that's where we begin. The little seeds planted, perhaps, for the mystery ahead. As if by magic, the next morning... Poirot receives a phone call dun, dun, from dun. Inspector Jap, who says... You remember how we stopped at the end of Bardsley Garden Mews last night, where your friend uh, Hastings keeps his car? And Hastings was saying about how the sound of a shot could be covered by the noise of a firework? Yes. Well, someone did it. Really? Not murder. Looks like suicide. But they're not entirely happy about it. Hmm. I'll meet you there in one hour. My first thought when that happened is, why don't they arrest Hastings? Because <laughs> mm. <laughs> that would be really like, oh, really good night to commit murder. And then there's a murder? Come on. Suspicious. Too suspicious. Mm. Why didn't Poirot even consider that? I think he knows Hastings is too stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I love Hastings, but he's just a bit of a dum-dum sometimes. <laughs> uh, he doesn't even enter his brain. And also he knows that, as you said, he's all about his car right now. He's not thinking about killing people. Mm. Yeah. It turns out that the victim is one Barbara Allen. The dead woman is a Mrs. Allen. She shared the house with a friend, Miss Plenderleith, who is a professional photographer or something along those lines. Miss Plenderleith was away in the country. But when she came home this morning, she finds her friend's door locked. She knocks and calls, but can't get any answer. In the end, she gets really alarmed and calls the police. 10.45, our lads break the door down, and there's Mrs. Allen lying in a heap on the floor, shot through the head. My God, that house. That I mean, even house. the staircase. Like the second you enter, every element of it is pure art deco decadence. Mm. Art decadence, huh? <laughs> That work? Hey. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's just yeah. It's it's if you if you look up Art Deco in the dictionary, it's this house probably in terms mm. of designing the design style, the furniture. Oh, it's it's perfection. It's truly perfection. Well, we we were talking uh, last last time about the production design on mm. Clapham Cook. Even the background, you can see miles away. You can see yeah. cars that are true to the era passing. Everyone is in period costume. I think Murder in the Muse outdoes it. Yeah. Because not only do you get this um, incredible apartment, there's also a nightclub scene, which is just amazing. They have a full band playing and there's just extras everywhere. Everyone's ordering drinks that are all authentic to the time. It's It's stunning. Oh my goodness me. Yeah. It just gets more and more opulent. I wonder if we'll ever, we could ever speak to the production design team behind that that first series because, yeah, it is unbelievable the level of detail Mm. they go into and it's just infinitely rich. Every time you rewatch the episodes, well, you notice a different part of it and a different piece of furniture that you desperately need for your house as soon as possible because it's just so beautiful. The house, if you have any kind of Art Deco passion, you will swoon when you Mm. see it. It's it's one of those things you just can't believe it's real. 
hope it's yeah. still around. I hope it's still, it hope looks it like it's a proper house, not a set. Yeah. So um, I hope it still exists in that form. I like to think so. You know, sometimes you read about like a woman that married a bridge and stuff. Anything. That's a bit weird. Mm, um, I don't I, read the star. <laughs> me neither. Whatever. Shaming me. <laughs> um, but I... I get it with that house. If someone was like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna marry this house," I'd be like, "I totally get it. It's, it's beautiful. It's a very sexy house." I think, I think the Bardsley Garden Muse house and Whitehaven Mansion should get married and have a child. Oh, imagine how beautiful that child would be! <laughs> so right. <laughs> and It'd be like the child of um, Miss Blenderleith and uh, Poirot, yes. who, who I would say would produce a very attractive baby. That would be an interesting combination. <laughs> Tall well, let's get but to stout. Her. Anyway. <laughs> Let's get to her. Miss Plenderleith, played by Juliet Mole in yes. this, is the housemate of the victim, Barbara Allen. And she begins kind of nondescriptish, information-wise anyway. Mm. She's one of the most statuesque, striking women mm. I've ever seen. She's very beautiful, but mm. it's more than that. It's her poise, her height. Yeah, She's incredibly grand, yes. isn't she? Definitely. She's, yeah, as you say, everything, her posture, her presence, everything. She is a true Amazonian, but in a really elegant she really way. Is. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, quite something. She could play Wonder Woman yeah. easily. Mm. She's she's so striking. I'm, I've seen this episode with a few people. Um, I watched it with you. I watched it with yeah. you know, a couple of other friends at various points, and everyone always remarks on her. She's yeah. just one of those people you just look at and go, "How are you real?" Yeah, it's um, like a stat. Yeah. She is statuesque, like you say. She just looks mm. like she's carved from marble. She's just yeah. perfect. <laughs> she's really, really is. Yeah. She's like a goddess. Anyway, uh, Miss Plenderleith. There you have your first. Suspect, shall we say? Or yes. Name in the hat, anyway. Person of interest. Um, person of interest, yeah. <laughs> Much better way of putting it. <laughs> Thank you. This must be a terrible shock to you, Miss Plenderleith. I still can't believe it. Now, you've already told Inspector Jameson how you found the body when you came in this morning. You were away for the weekend, I take it? Yes, since Friday noon. Uh, pardon, mademoiselle. When you found the door locked, you called the police. It did not occur to you that she might have gone away and locked the door before leaving? Why should she lock it? Tell me about Mrs. Allen, Miss Plenderleith. I met her abroad. She was on her way back from India. I was looking for someone to share a flat with me. We decided we liked each other. Did she have any particular man friend? She was engaged to be married again, if that answers your question. What's the name of the man she was engaged to? Charles Laverton West. He's MP for some place in Hampshire. But there'd be no quarrel between them, as far as you know. I'd be very surprised. Barbara wasn't the quarrelling kind. What is your own opinion of Monsieur Leverton West, mademoiselle? He's young, ambitious, a good public speaker, means to get on in the world. And on the debit side? Well, in my opinion, he's commonplace and rather pompous. But those are not very serious faults, mademoiselle. Oh, you don't think so? Well, that might be to you, but... Mrs. Allen? No. She would not notice them. You were fond of your friend? Yes, very. Poirot and Jap examine the crime scene. Yes. Which is all full of very interesting Lots of clues. Facts. Yeah, because Miss Plenderleith as well is worth saying she discovered the body of yeah. her housemate. She came home after a weekend away and she went upstairs and found a locked 
room. Well, apparently room? she said that the room was locked with okay. no key inside. Because so to be fair, no I believe she could kick that door in. She is so powerful. <laughs> she, I think she could just walk through the wall. Yeah, just pick, <laughs> just pick up the wall and move it. Just, absolutely. <laughs> she could just stand beneath the room and stand up straight and put her head through the floor. She could pick up the, the ceiling of the property and just lift it off like the whole roof mm. and just like look in over the top because she's that powerful she, and strong she, and tall. she could eat the whole house <laughs> yeah. and, and then with her molars she could chew off the door yeah. spit the house back out and then walk into the door and somehow the house Let's would look make... even better for it yeah it's fair to say I think we both got a bit of a crush on it <laughs> yeah, seriously it's, it's gone in a very <laughs> different direction <laughs> she's eating a house right now yeah. so erotic <laughs> well the position's alright if she shot herself, she'd probably have slipped from the chair into just that position. But the prints on the gun, sir, they're the problem. Bit of a thumbprint and a forefinger, and that's all. Just what you get from someone trying to press the dead woman's fingers on the gun and not doing it very well. Gun in left hand, wound on the left side. Presumably she was left-handed. It looks as though she's holding the gun. But in fact, she isn't. It's just sort of lying in her hand. Anything else? Yeah, the window was closed and bolted, and the door was locked. We haven't been able to find the key. So, um, let's go over the crime scene then. Yes. So, the important clues here. There's a wound on the left-hand side of her head. Yes. And the gun is lying in her left hand. But it doesn't appear as though she's holding the gun it looks like someone's just laid the gun in her hand. Suspicious. Problem is, as most of the people point out in this, she was right-handed. Mrs. Allen was left-handed, wasn't she? Left-handed? No, I don't think so. No, I'm sure she wasn't. Really? You see, Mrs. Allen was shot in the left temple and the gun was in her left hand. Didn't you notice that when you found the body? No, I didn't. It was so horrible, I didn't notice anything. That's understandable, miss. But it seems highly unlikely that a normally right-handed person would shoot themselves left-handed. The police are keen to say that it's a suicide because she's in a locked room, mm -hmm. uh, the gun's in her hand, she has a bullet wound. But Poirot notices inconsistencies straight away. Of course he does. One being that um, he seems to sniff the air for some reason. Superior nostrils, or not, as the case may be. Uh, yeah, he sniffs the air, he looks around. He That's the best part, I think, is when you see him noticing things and you see his mm. little little brow furrow a little bit. You're like, oh, this is exciting. <laughs> I really love Jap in this one because um, he his police work is really competent. Mm. Like, he asks the right questions, he talks to the right people. But he sees he all just the clues. Keeps, yeah, he does see all the clues. Every now and then he side-eyes Poirot. It's almost like, am I doing this right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And then he'll notice Poirot over by the desk and say, well, what are you looking at? You know, yeah. And it's so that um, kind of that light irritation he gets. He's like, what? Like, what are, you, what are you looking at? What? Like, what aren't you telling me? Like, he gets, with the smell, we'll talk about it in more in a bit, but he gets really annoyed because Poirot keeps going on about, the smell, the smell. And he was like, there wasn't a smell. What are you talking about? Like, ugh, so annoying. <laughs> Just tell me. Yeah. Like when someone knows the end of a story and they won't tell you and you're like, like come on. Something I've been meaning to ask you, Poirot. Hmm? What was that you were sniffing at in the room when we first examined the body? Sniff, sniff, sniff. You got a cold, have you? No. I always thought the little grey cells were in your brain. Don't tell me your nose cells are superior to everyone else's too. By no means. It was merely cigarette smoke. I didn't smell cigarette smoke. No more did I, my friend. There were nine cigarette ends in the ashtray. Six of them gasped, was three Turkish. Exactly. 
Your wonderful nose cells knew that without looking, I suppose. I assure you, my nose does not enter into the matter. My nose registered nothing. But the brain cells registered a lot. Well, there were certain indications. Did you not think so? There is a part of a cufflink found on the floor mm-hmm. near the body. That's very important. Yes. And also, there's no suicide note. No. So if it was suicide, then why has she taken her life? Have you ever seen this before? No. It's not yours nor Mrs. Adams? It's not the kind of thing normally worn by our sex, is it? Oh, so you recognise it? I don't recognise it. I recognise what it is, though. It's half of a man's cufflink. After talking to Miss Blenderley, they find out that Barbara Allen had a fiancé, Charles Laberton West, who's an MP. Jap and Poirot go to break the news about Barbara Allen's death. Yes. What do you think of Charles Laberton West? <sighs> and I know we're not we're not going to ever get into politics on this show because you know mm. to each their own. But he's definitely a Tory. <laughs> <laughs> What does that mean? Is that good or bad? (laughs) (laughs) Come on, Frankie. Don't want to upset anyone. But he is also (laughs) the most. I think if you were to look up the stereotype of a British man, this is he. He is that. But it's. I mean, he even says, you know, stiff upper lip and all that. You know, Mm. uh, doesn't he? Clearly, when they break the news to him, is shocked and. I mean, as emotional as a British man is capable of being, I suppose. Thank you very much. <laughs> the stereotype of a Brit, you know, of an English man. <laughs> Not you. We know you're a very emotional person, um, but stop it! You made me cry. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he is. Uh, he's a little bit stuffy. He's very, very starched as a person. I would say very clearly a, a wealthy man of means he is an mp and very serious and to the point and quite rigid in a lot of ways what do you think of him i think he's douchebag yeah because... okay that's the that's, that's the polite word for it yeah <laughs> <laughs> i said tory um, which is... <laughs> his reaction to hearing about barbara's death is shock at first and mm. you think oh poor guy mm. and then you realize he's not shocked because she's dead yeah he's shocked because he's worried in case the papers will find out and it will affect his political career yeah. Um, and then he gets a phone call and it's the Prime Minister and he's on hold waiting and he's more interested in that call than continuing the conversation with Jap and Poirot. It's obvious he didn't really care about her. Very pompous yeah. douchebag. I don't believe it. What's happened? Apparently suicide, sir. Was there anything worrying Mrs. Allen, do you know? No, not a thing. We were engaged to be married. Yes, quite so. I can't believe it. Dead. How? Shot, sir. Shot? Good God, I hope the newspapers haven't got hold of this. I couldn't say, sir. I wonder if I could just ask... Hello? Ah, yes. Yes, thank you. I'll hold on. It's the Prime Minister. I will have some questions, sir. Is it just make an appointment with my secretary at the house? Yes, I'm still here. Very good, sir. We'll do that. I'm sorry to be the bearer of such bad news. Pardon, monsieur. Allow me to express my deepest sympathy at your loss. Yes, right, thank you. Um, stiff upper lip, you know, that's the British way. Magnifique. Yeah, actually, I just checked my notes and I did write, and we can, we, I don't know if we're allowed to say this word, but I, I wrote bit of a dick. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, that I bit. think the word bit is fine. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> a segment of dick um and there's like it's when he's on hold with the prime minister and poirot leans forward and says magnifique like in that kind of 
cutting. That's the meme, of, isn't it? Yeah, that's the meme. Well, I've noticed actually, <laughs> it's a weird conversation. The memes <laughs> mainly on Twitter at the moment are from that first, <clears throat> the first couple of episodes tend to be where all yeah. the memes are from. We need to, we need to add more memes to the world. We need to yeah. get them out there. That's my goal. Let's do that. Uh, so yeah, he's automatically a little bit, I, I think everyone's a little bit, hates him straight away. Poirot didn't really like him. And Jap is thoroughly unimpressed with him as a person. Mm. And he says, actually, he describes him in the best possible way, where he says, what a stuffed fish. No, not a stuffed fish, a boiled owl. What a stuffed fish. No, not a stuffed fish, a boiled owl. As you say, Jap. Lustig <laughs> burn of the week. I think we can bring that back into common parlance if possible. You boiled out. <laughs> Just to see people's well, confusion. Everyone, say it in a nice way. I think people wouldn't know how to take it. Like a Do you know something? It was really sweet of you to come and see me that week. You know, you're a real boiled owl. Yeah. Or like like a pet name for a for a lover. I feel like my little boiled owl. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Say that again. Time to leave the round. <laughs> oh goodness! Get me all kinds of hot this week. <laughs> She's a boiled heron. She's so long and elegant. A flamingo. Or a boiled puffin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exotic. Before they leave, actually, I think this is when um, Poirot says, Magnifique, is when he first says to the, the douche, was she right or left-handed? And he says, oh, she, mm. she was right-handed. So he confirms that that's a key clue, the hands. Yeah, it is. It, it runs all the way through. Mm. Um, we then go back to Hastings hey, in the Muse. Lad. Who uh, is supposed to be interviewing the community, but instead is under a car. Look, don't hate the lad, hate the game. I don't know that didn't work at all. That was a boiled owl of a bird. <laughs> I, that's what that's what I am. I now know how to describe it. It's perfect. Um, but he Hastings being Hastings, you know, mm. it's always he's he likes to be helpful. He likes to get involved, but it's mainly about Hastings in this. I would say, but but through that, he's actually working, Adam. So let's not he be is. reductive of him. I think Poirot's at the first. You know, what, what are you doing under a car, dude? You're supposed to be. <laughs> Getting clues for me, and he says, "Well, I have got clues for you." And he's uh, a boy pulls out from under from under the car, <laughs> a fellow mechanic, Freddie, who is the greatest actor of all time. This is Mr. Poirot. Where are you, Gov? I'm Fred Dog. You can call me Freddie. Hello, Freddie. Freddie's got the goods. Did you see something last night? Well, Miss Allen, she went to the post box about six. About half nine, now a car pulled up. Stands as well as saloon. Rubbish, really. But it looks smart. A man got out. He was about, about 45, well set up. Military-looking gent. You've seen him before? Yeah, a couple of times. Dark blue overcoat, toothbrush moustache. He was in there for about an hour. I saw him come out together. So you saw him leave? I don't miss much, Gov. Then you heard what they said, of course. Yeah. He said, think it over and let me know. And she said something. Then he said, so long. And the way they talk. They were friendly, yes? Can't always tell what I was, can you? But it seemed all right. You didn't hear what Mrs. Allen said? No, she was sort of ran behind the door. What a presence for such a young guy. <laughs> like, automatically, I want to know everything about him. He's basically the artful dodger of mechanics, mm -hmm. I would say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's the boiled owl of Dickens' character. Yeah, he is not a stuffed fish, that's for sure. He is he is the the ultimate lad, um, and he, he sees is. everything and he remembers everything. He's got he's got the goods. Freddie's got the goods. Now look here, my boy. I want you to answer my next question very carefully. If you don't know the answer or can't remember, you just say so. That clear? Ask the question. Which of them shut the door? 
Mrs. Allen or the gentleman? I think the lady did. No, she never. It was him. He pulled it to with a big bang and then got into the car really quick. Yeah. Here you are, my boy. You seem a bright kind of shaver. Here's sixpence for you. That's very kind you, sir. But uh, you can see a way to making it a shilling, could you? <laughs> Go on, clear off. What I love about Freddie is that he is obviously posh, but having to put on his working class accent. <laughs> a bit cool, blimey, governor. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you, Gov? I'm Fred Dog. I assume Freddie tended rather. He would pronounce it rather. <laughs> yep. Apples and pears. <laughs> but he has information that's very useful to the case. He provides Poirot and Jap with a vital piece of information. He saw someone leaving the flat. And he offers a, a light timeline of events, which mm. is quite useful because I think a lot of it is, you know, especially if we consider the period where it's set, determining time of death is very finger in the wind kind of mm. guessing. Uh, they don't use obviously biological evidence at that point because it didn't exist. Uh, so it was very helpful for them, I imagine, to get that timeline to figure out mm. the evening. But yes, there was a man spotted. Obviously, it wasn't Laverton West either because he had a toothbrush moustache, I think they describe it as. Yeah, something. Um, <laughs> Brush moustache. Yeah. I really like the moment where Jap takes over the questioning and asks Freddie, did he close the door or was it mm. the lady who closed the door? That was a really clever question. Mm. And um, <laughs> I really like the fact that he's obviously taken a leaf out of Poirot's book by this point and said, I need to be nice to the common man because you get more out of them. And he gives Freddie a sixpence yeah. for his trouble. Freddie tries to bar him up to a shilling and gets a, go on, my lad. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Freddie's just playing the game. He knows the score. He knows he's got the valuable information. And also, before um, the military-looking gent is spotted by Freddie, uh, a few hours earlier, Miss Allen is seen going to the post box, which is another Mm. key clue. After some investigation, the police find out that uh, Barbara Allen had drawn £200 from her account, and they trace this money to a major Eustace, who seems to fit the description that Freddie gave. Yes. The fact that she drew £200 out and seemingly gave it to him would suggest that he was blackmailing her. Ooh, boo. It leads to this fabulous nightclub scene in which Jap and his sergeant track down Major Eustace. Yes. And it's, it's this also scene is amazing. It's also established as well that Major Eustace knew Barbara Allen from the days in India, which we all love to mm. casually drop in our imperial history. <laughs> hanging out in India, you know, just making ourselves a terrible nuisance. That's <laughs> a polite way of putting what we did in India. Jesus. Just being awful as, as we were throughout our history as British. We should probably take a break away from the, uh, the main plot just quickly here to say mm. there is a scene that... Some people may find slightly cringy. Speaking of cap- um, casual racism. Yeah, speaking of colonialism. <laughs> yeah. One of the main subplots is Poirot and his starchy collars. Yes. And he's trying to get the bulldog breed laundry to uh, put less starch in his collars. And he's dictating a letter along the lines of, please stop putting so much starch in my collars. Thank you very much. And she remarks that I can write all you want, but they won't understand because they're Chinese. Yes. Poirot says, the Chinese are running the bulldog breed laundry? It's happening to the world. I'm going to play the scene for you right now. Yeah. As, as much as it's slightly awkward and slightly uncomfortable, mm. new viewers might go, ooh, <laughs> about this. It, it's not something that runs through. Uh, it's not a main theme of the Poirot. And I think it, it's more of a dig at the British 
than yeah. any other race. But yeah, I'll play it for you now. The Bulldog Breed Laundry is Chinese? Yes, Mr. Poirot. What is the world coming to, Miss Lemon? I'm sure I couldn't say, sir, but when the boy brings your laundry back, he brings the letters back too for me to explain to him. And you do? No. Why not? I don't speak Chinese. So what do you say to him? Well, I... I say, him collar, no very good, starchy. I show him the collars and say it. Yes, things, my friend. You spent some years in China, did you not? No, absolutely. Fine fellows, fine fellows. Did you ever have any trouble with your laundry? Yes, I did, as a matter of fact. And what did you say to them? Well, I said, him collar, no very good, starchy. That's where I got it from, sir. I asked the captain, knowing he'd been in the East. But Hastings, my collars, they do not get any better. No, mine didn't either, now I come to think about it. It's a difficult thing as well when you consider the source material and Agatha Christie writing in the time that she wrote in. It's something that I think about a lot because I don't believe Agatha Christie or anybody involved in any of this is racist at all because I... No, you know, she was I, one of the most cultured ladies. Absolutely. Day, she it? respected different cultures. She loved to travel. She was very, you know... I, I, unfortunately, a lot of that was of its time in terms of the language and the titles of certain books of hers and things like that, which mm. have all been changed now, very rightly, and actually, I think, vastly improved by doing that. Much better titles, mm. which is great. Uh, but I think, yeah... So you have to take a big old pinch of salt in these kinds of moments yeah and also consider the anti-asian sentiment that probably existed in england at the time that it was set as well mm. um, it was a big political um thing i mean it, yeah people were saying that too much work was going to immigrants and there were laws being passed not just in britain but in america i remember your, i heard your anime wong episode i know the score yeah <laughs> i touched on it in that it's um they they the government whipped up the media into this frenzy and yeah. it was a huge sound familiar <laughs> world we live in currently <laughs> Uh, and also it's worth noting that Hastings and again as you say it's very much about how stupid the British or a lot of the British were yeah. because Hastings is very oh the Chinese are lovely wonderful people like he's very quick to wonderful bunch wow wonderful wonderful and then very quickly exposes himself for being the classic Brit abroad when he mm-hmm. tries to explain how to, to get the, the collars sorted by no starchy which is very cringe <laughs> and painful but we're laughing at, at Hastings for his incredible ignorance yeah no you don't laugh at the poor people no. trying to understand what what hastings is saying you're laughing at the brit abroad yeah very cringe so yeah that, that i think we had to address that small elephant in the room but mm-hmm. it is I, I i don't think it was done in a mean-spirited way at all in the episode we'll come to another episode coming up in, yes. in the first series called the last mine where there's lots and lots of asian characters in it because it's largely set in chinatown and mm-hmm. there's people coming over from china and all that kind of thing. And um, I mean, the Chinese visitors are treated with respect, and you know, the mm. bankers that come over are treated with respect. Yes. There's not a you know a racist vibe going through the Poirot series at all. So if, no. if you watch this scene or have watched it and think, oh, I don't know, Fauna, then don't worry. It's not. It's more of a dig at the British than uh, than the other races. And we kind of deserve it, so I think it's fine. Yes. Anyway, back to the mystery. Yes. Um, Major Eustace is arrested at the. Um, the nightclub. The by beautiful Jeff, nightclub. I just quickly want to touch on one shot where they arrest him. Mm. It's one of the best shots I've seen in anything. Not I think I know exactly TV. the one you mean as well. 
Major Eustace is in the middle of the screen. Mm. Uh, Jap and his sergeant are sat either side. And they stand and obscure the sides of the screen. And you just see Major Eustace's face in the middle. And it says, you know, you're under arrest. And he looks between them. But I urge you, when that moment mm. comes, you'll, you'll see what I mean. It's so well directed. Yeah, it is visually stunning. Um, not to mm. get all film student about it, but the mise-en-scene... <laughs> The whole metaphor of like the walls closing in on him Mm. and everything is like, wow. Yeah, it's it's such a It's perfection. And this is the thing you can tell that the the creative team behind it are really enjoying. Like, what a a rich piece of work. Yeah, Yeah. like really flexing that production muscle in the most spectacularly stunning way. Like, what what a treat for everybody. They didn't skimp on anything at all. That nightclub is incredible. It's like they've stepped back in time and it's oh. full of people as mm. well. And it's full of drinks and it's full of life. And the it's band. Full of music. Yeah. The band is playing. They've got like, the oh singer. God. It's yeah. like Sunday night TV show. They really went to town. And you can Can't really see that. where that, that big budget they had for this series went in that respect. Mm. It wasn't all up David Suchet's bum. It was also <laughs> <laughs> into that like these kinds of incredibly didn't need to go to town the way they did absolutely they could have done it without Mm. that could have had three extras in that bar but no it yeah absolutely it could have been a shed yeah (laughs) they could have have picked him up on the street but instead they went let's do something really incredible we've got this much of the budget left let's make it look incredible yeah that whole that whole sequence oh gorgeous nailed it And we then go back to the best art deco house of all time in Mm. the muse, where something very peculiar happens. I think Jap is starting to catch up to Poirot's vibe by this point. This is another thing I love about this episode so much. Jap and Poirot seem to communicate a lot in this episode through looks. Yes. There are moments where Jap's talking to his Plenderleith and Poirot will just flick his head towards him and Jap will catch it and say, yeah, you're right, that wasn't significant. Yeah. Um, this this whole scene where those two go to the house and they talk to Miss Plenderly is full of incredible communication that yeah. you don't hear necessarily. Yeah, and it, 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 as it's they're establishing the relationship between the characters as well so beautifully with those little moments. Like you say, they don't even say anything now. You know when you have friends that you just are so comfortable with, you know each other so well, you just pick up on everything. It's those moments mm-hmm. that that's what makes it so special and so warm. And you've, yeah, those, it's incredible. The, the chemistry between them is unreal. They're really finding their groove. Yeah. Anyway, so Jap asks Miss Plenderly if he can search the place. He wants to turn it upside down to see if he's missed anything. And she mm. says, go ahead. So Miss Plenderly sits with Poirot and um, they have a cigarette together and there's silence between them, but it's Mm. really pregnant with something. And Poirot's trying to ascertain something, yeah. That is an infamous police interrogation technique, is the letting the silence sit. It's that human compulsion to fill silence. And so often Mm. people incriminate themselves further or give things away without even realising it. So that's just Mm. Poirot being the best in the game. Um, Jack returns and says, there's a cupboard under the stairs. I can't get into it. Can I have the key, please? Miss Plenderleith says... It's locked. Yes, I've already found that out. Could I have the key, please? Um... I don't know where it is. Oh, that's too bad. Don't want to have to break the lock. No. Um, it might be upstairs. As she leaves to get the key... 
Jap looks at Poirot and just goes, what was that all yeah. about? You know, even even Jap spotted that. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, um, that glaringly <laughs> suspicious moment where she's like, you can't get in, it's locked. Oh, okay, fine, I'll go get the key. <laughs> oh, all right. This is probably the most pivotal part of the episode, I would say. The opening of the cupboard. There's no obvious camera move as to what you should be looking at. Yeah. Instead, there's just an assortment of objects. You got uh, an attache case, there's an umbrella, some golf clubs. Jap just opens the cupboard, pulls out a couple of things and says, oh, that's all inconsequential and closes it again. Very, very important though, right? Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, Jap, in his haste, has not quite taken i think it's it it presents itself as a bit of a red herring in that moment yes that's exactly right yeah yeah and that's so you're you're expecting the cupboard to open and i don't know what to be like a a big confession letter written up or something Mm. a picture of her committing the murder or something awful uh but yeah it's uh yeah they build it up beautifully and they build that tension really beautifully and Mm. and it's a red herring but is it a red herring or is it not? Well, that's the thing. Usually, when the um, director is trying to point out something mm. you should be noticing, they'll use the camera in some kind yeah. of way, or some you know, music. they'll go to a face or a reaction shot. But it's mm. not. It's just all three of them stood by the door. The door opens. The camera doesn't move in on the objects or anything. They just yeah. move them around and shut the door, and it's over. And you think, well, all of that was a bit, mm, yeah. Um, yeah. It's very cleverly done because. <laughs> Poirot returns the day after asking Mrs. Pierce by the way who's yes. another one of these you know common folk people that Poirot just charms yep, he calls him dear all the way through I know imagine calling Poirot dear <laughs> imagine having the audacity I've heard of you dear she said <laughs> yeah. but he, he he's equally charmed by her I think this is most difficult I'm sorry Mrs. Pierce dear my name is Hercule Poirot, Mrs. Pierce. Oh, I've heard of you, dear. Well, I'm most flattered. Mrs. Pierce, I am in something of a difficulty. Oh. I came here yesterday with the Chief Inspector Jap, and we omitted to search for clues in one particular place in the house. So I was wondering if... Oh, come on in, dear. Help yourself. You are most kind. Thank you. He goes back into the flat and reopens the understairs cupboard and notices that a very significant object is gone. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. So it's like one of those games where people show Memory you game. A, a table full of objects and then leave the room and come back and you're like, oh, which one's missing? Yeah, that's that good training to becoming a detective. Mm. Everyone go away and do that game. Or just watch this episode. <laughs> 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 they do it for you. But yeah, no, that's good. And it's um, it's quickly revealed what was taken. But mm. yeah, it was that's a, that's a fun little game I think they're playing with the audience there, testing the little grey cells a bit. Poirot notices that uh, from the cupboard, the golf clubs are missing. <gasps> so he inquires as to where Miss Plenderleith plays golf. And there's a brilliant scene that follows. <laughs> which <laughs> Poirot in his, you know, usual spats and suit and high collar uh, joins Hastings and a load of old golfers on the golf who are all in their, you know, baggy trousers and mm. golf golf wear with their golf clubs. And they're all sort of, you know, down their nose at Poirot. <laughs> oh, this this guy has no clue what he's doing, kind of mm-hmm. thing. But he's not there to play golf, but He's there to play golf. <laughs> <laughs> Not only will he play golf, he will perfect he'll play, golf. Of course. My favourite line, actually, of the whole episode. You don't happen to have a handicap certificate on you, do you, sir? No, no, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> 
so good. <laughs> uh, it's so good because Hastings... He just delivers it absolutely deadpan as well. <laughs> it's perfect. And you can see Hastings is kind of like... You can see Hastings being like, oh, poor Poirot, he doesn't know what he's doing. Oh, bless him, let me help mm. out my friend and I'll show him what to mm. do. And Now, there should be a little hole somewhere and I have to push the ball into it. You see that flag there? No. In front of the big tree, a little patch of red. Ah, yes, good. That's where the little hole is. No. <clears throat> Won't keep you a moment. Now, all you have to do is hit it with that. <laughs> and then <laughs> then Poirot just Tiger Woods the crap out of that golf ball. <laughs> of course he does. Because of course oh, he does. Am I allowed to hit the flag? Oh, yes. Yes, that'll be fine. No, it will not hit the flag, I think. Oh, bad luck. And then after he does that amazing swing, flies to the green and he goes, oh, I didn't hit the flag. <laughs> no, so like, oh, never mind. It's fantastic. Um, but he's there to uh, trail Miss Plenderleith, who's also on the golf course and she's playing in front. Basically, the idea was they could play golf behind her so he could observe what she was doing. And she's doing something very strange, isn't she? Yes, she is doing something very strange. And Poirot, in his brilliance, is always looking in bins around yeah. and in the in the growth, <laughs> the, the undergrowth around the golf course and pulling out broken golf clubs. He's found three broken golf clubs in a little journey around the course, which mm. is unusual. And obviously they're all wooden because this is the 30s, 40s period mm. where yeah. I mean, you would. So, but yeah. three in a row? Three in a row. Not just three, a whole set. She, she's playing a hole and she is smashing up a golf club every time and dumping it in the bin. Because you, where better to hide a broken golf club? A golf course. And you'd be forgiven for thinking she's just so powerful and strong because she's this majestic goddess woman that she could just break any mm. golf club or man with her bare hands, just snap him in half. Um, I'm surprised the cameras worked around her, to be honest. <laughs> she just looked at them and they... Surely, just, yeah. <laughs> her image could not be captured on film, but uh, they managed it, thank God, for us. Uh, yeah, she... Yeah, it's uh, perhaps... Is this intentional, this breaking and dumping of the, mm. of the golf clubs? Poirot seems to think so. Mm. He not only sees her breaking the golf clubs, but he then observes, along with Hastings, her throwing an attaché case, which was another object that was in the understairs cupboard. Into a water hazard. He then turns to Hastings and says, the whole thing's solved. Classic Poirot. Yep. yep. You've seen enough, Hastings. I must regretfully abandon our most interesting game and go and telephone the Chief Inspector Shell. The, the scene was well when Jack turns up and he's like, why were you sniffing the air? Do you have a superior nostrils as well as everything else about you? Because you're obviously superhuman Poirot. You see everything mm. that no one else can see. What What was it? Like, for heaven's sake. And that's when we it's pointed out to us that he's sniffing the air in that room because there's an ashtray in there with nine cigarette butts in it. But there's no smell. And so then it's implied that maybe the ashtray or the cigarettes weren't smoked in that room. Mm. Um, and, and that's why it becomes so significant that the door was locked and the window was locked because if nine cigarettes had been smoked in the room, then there would have been a trace of a smell at smell? least, which is why. Yes, exactly. Am I wrong? Or are we going to talk further with the beautiful Miss Blenderleith? Yes. You know, there was something missing from that room, Chief Inspector. 
but also something added, I think. So if you want to solve the mystery, then you need to pause the actual episode itself at the 41-minute mark. And if you want to go away and watch it, solve it yourself, you can do so right now, but we'll give you the important clues you need to look out for. So the first one happens at 5.50, and it's the wound is on the left-hand side of the head, and the gun is in the left hand. Gun in left hand, wound on the left side. Presumably she was left-handed. Left-handed? No, I don't think so. No, I'm sure she wasn't. At 6.05, they talk about the window was closed and the door was locked. The window was closed and bolted and the door was locked. We haven't been able to find the key. At 20.30, Poirot makes a very, very important deduction. He says... There was something missing from that room, Chief Inspector. But also something added, I think. And then the final clue you really, really need is one we've discussed, it's Miss Plenderleith breaking the golf clubs. Yes, and throwing the attaché case yes. in the water. There's more colour to the clues as you go through, but those are the main ones you need to focus on. Yeah, so it's a, it's a good one. And no spoilers, obviously, because go away and solve the mystery, but this is one of the ones where it's not clear-cut in any way. It's not a simple... Mm. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's emotional. It's an emotional one, I think. It really is, yeah. Mm. The, the denouement comes out after the 41-minute mark. It's a full eight minutes of the reveal, mm. we say. It's a full eight minutes, um, and it's worth it because mm. it's a super clever solution. Yeah. The police arrive on the scene, they think it's a suicide. They notice things that later cause them to believe it's a murder the reveal at the end is is incredibly smart mm. and and totally unconventional let's retcon slightly clap and cook in terms of a mystery on a rating of one to ten what would you say what would you give it it's a good starter mystery clap and cook i think mm-hmm. it's pretty standard it's clear murder and well, sorry murder disappearance mystery i'd say it's pretty middling I would say mm. it's still very yeah. compelling and exciting, but this one I think is just that little bit more interesting and a little bit more advanced. What do you think? Mm. I think what we should do is rate the mysteries themselves, not not the episodes because yeah. they're always going to be a ten, yes. and the performances will always be a ten. Yes. But the mysteries themselves, in mm-hmm. terms of how difficult they are to solve, mm-hmm. I would say probably clap and cook. I would say it's probably a four out of ten. Yeah, I'd agree with that because it's quite clear. Four to five. What? Yeah. But Murder and the Muse, mm. I'd say in terms of ingenuity, I would say it's probably a seven. Yeah, I agree. And I think the most emotional part of it for me personally was uh, Poirot dealing with his collars. Um, and I actually wanted to mention my other <laughs> my other favourite line uh, when, when he's lamenting the fact his collars are too starched. And Hastings says, why don't you just wear a turned down collar? It's a lot easier. Mm. And Faro says, the turned down collar is the first symptom of decay of the grey cells. So it's very important <laughs> to keep his grey cells and his starch collars intact and perfect. Well, another great line is also when um, Miss Lemon is trying to get him to go to the dentist and he's insisting that he doesn't uh, need to go. And he says, My teeth are perfection. It is sacrilege to tamper with them. Oh, it is a great episode, though. From not It's even, a great episode. The mystery's great. The performances are great. Great casting, as we've, we've sufficiently waxed lyrical over the beauty, the goddess that is Miss mm. Penderleith. 
But it's even just from the the relationships within the the, the core four. It's everything. It's a really strong one. And I want if people do watch it, tell us if you've solved it with the clues. Because mm. I I'll be super yeah. impressed if anyone solves it. Yeah, Murder in the Muse is not not an easy one to solve. There are certain ones mm. that are just like whoa, you're so blown away that you, you know, like the clockwork of her mysteries are just they live with you forever. This is not up there with no. you know the greatest of them all. But in terms of ingenuity, mm. I'd say you can't you you couldn't be an unseasoned avid fan of you know detective fiction and probably solve this to be honest it's 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 a little bit advanced as no, you say i would be super impressed if anyone solves it tell us tweet us mm. and tell us how you did it because you should be working for the police and uh <laughs> so making our world better so please do that it's a really good episode another another strong one to kick off on Mm. Clapham Cook's great introduction episode, as you say. Yeah, this one really ramps up the. Uh, it really does make you work for the mystery. Not just that; it it's charming and it's beautiful to look at all the way through. You, you get more of the Whitehaven Four and their little travails together and their interpersonal relationships. It's a little gem, <laughs> a treat for the eyes and the brain. Yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> What a great idea to, to set a murder in the Muse. Anyway. Mm. Muse are such a British thing. I can't think of another country that has them. It's, uh, no. No, I can't. They're like old stables, aren't they? Yeah, I believe so. Mm. That's always the nicest part when you are wandering around London and you stumble across a Muse. And mm. it's it feels like you're transported through time a little bit. And if there's a murder, then all the better. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Well, we're not going to go through the solution because, um, no. you know, you might hear this in a year's time and want to go and solve it for yourself. But we'll say it's a great episode, as yes. per usual. Suchet is perfection. Everyone in it is perfection. Really? Very much so. And, uh, yeah, go away and solve the murder in the muse. Well, thank you for joining us on another Poirot adventure. I hope you all enjoyed the new format and you've been able to have a bit of fun solving the mystery along with the man himself and us. Although I don't, I didn't solve this one. I don't know about you. No, I, I didn't get this one either. No. Um, I think it's they do a fantastic job of obscuring it. Just, yes. Uh, just that Just much. enough. Yeah. Just a soupçon. <sighs> Look at you. He's rubbing off on you. But... Yeah, so it's been a really fun little adventure. What's what's episode three going to be, Adam? Well, it's another adventure. It's the adventure of Johnny Waverley. So if you want to play along, don't watch it just yet. Yes, I know it's really hard once you get started watching them. You just want to keep going forever and never leave your house and just watch them back to back. I totally understand that instinct, but try and be patient and join this journey with us because it will be a lot of fun. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. Yes, me too. And it's been delightful to spend a morning with you, Frankie, talking about our favourite man. Always a pleasure. Until next time then, mon ami. Au revoir. like to keep up to date with what we're doing or get in touch with us you can follow us on twitter at labors hercule we're also on instagram if you like pictures at labors of hercule and if you were born in the 1920s yourself then you can be all old-fashioned and email us at bonjour at the labors of that's it from us see you next time au revoir mes amis Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. 
That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time.